We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. practice squad designation to start the season knowing that he's got a default he's got a stronger leg by default arise would that be a mistake in your eyes for the buffalo bills arise is the punter i'll see grooms that that he's the punter okay he wins the job and holds the first kick he hold, Two separate bets. Yeah, he's going to hold. Oh, the, you're getting diabetes now. He's going to hold the first kick in the first preseason game. I'm glad you're so confident. Okay, I hope he, training camp. I hope training camp goes your way. It's going to be first game, first field goal or extra point attempt. All right, new kid, let's see what you got. And right. He's going to go out there and, and hold it like a boss. Well, you have just put yourself firmly in Wilford Brimley's camp. If you're wrong. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and we're here looking at another week's worth of winners. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. And losers. You get an F minus in my book. <laughs> you folks fell on your face. You know who didn't fall on their face and is one of the biggest winners of the entire week? That's me, baby. That's me with two fists in the air because somehow, without the help of an expert podcast producer, I managed to set up, take down, and record a really fun podcast featuring former Buffalo Bills left tackle John Fina, Buffalo Rumblings, the Overreaction podcast host Joe Miller, and Locked on Bills host Joe Marino, who just happened to be in town and kind of fell in on us. And it was a great time. I invo- I, I asked him to come. I was like, hey, you're here. You got a beer in your hand. Why don't you come sit down? And he's like, why? Well, I wouldn't want to impose. Impose? 
Chris, do these people not realize that they make me sound like like they're smarter about this than I am? Well, there were four mics in the bag for a reason, and I did listen to the show before we... Hilariously enough, one of them didn't work. We actually had a bad mic cable, but I, much like the Marines, adapted and overcame. No one even knew that there weren't four active mics. Uh, That's... Impressive! You can say it! It's It's impressive! Surprising. We'll have to... uh I should uh, do five mic cables in the bag next time we run across this problem. But I was going to say that I did listen to the podcast before we released it, just in case uh, anything had to be taken out, mainly you saying anything slightly uh, offensive. Offensive, But uh, I do love that there was no mention that I was not there. No, we no, just rolled. No, you just rolled. Oh, no, no, I... I've been doing this podcast by myself the whole time. I've done over 400 shows with me producing it. No, I wanted to see if I could make it sound good enough that people wouldn't know you weren't there. I think I did all right. You did fine. I mean, yeah, fine. I will take that as a victory considering Chris hates complimenting well, I, me for anything. I mean, well, <laughs> for those that, that at least Woo! the least listen to the uh, the first time i think fina was talking he had to power through cutting crew i just <laughs> died in your arms tonight and i i texted you i'm like why is couldn't you just tell him no music for like a, an hour hey, an hour did, and 15 we did what we could sir i mean it, it bled through but not much to where it was a distraction on what you guys were saying it's kind I mean, of the I, I mean, it's kind of why i like those shows to begin with i might I, like the I might be the only one that kind of nitpicks on that just of course you are for because my you're a lunatic and that's what makes you area good at this. Of expertise at the show but, but so now that we're both sitting here we're both holding glasses of whiskey can we toast to the fact that i actually i'm not quite as bad at this podcasting thing as you and the world at large gives me credit for yeah well i mean you just send me yes, you just sir. you just give me the audio you know, I'll put some zhuzh on it some to make all of our voice, because it's a pod. we're not live, it's a podcast, you know, doctor the audio all you want, and that's what we do here at the Rock Pile Report. We make it sound better than we actually sound in the room. I like that Joe Miller, uh, Joe Marino referred to me as the Mel Kuyper of Bill's podcasting. Hanging that one in my, my, my like, uh, trophy case. Yeah, well, I mean, let's not... Pass over what Marino said. It's very, very nice of him to say those things. But I would say I would. I mean, you would agree with me that of what most people would consider Locked On Bills to be one of the most downloaded podcasts yep. in within the Bills community. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, you know, to kind of break down the fourth wall here. I mean, I'm sure everybody could figure it out based on our four hundred plus episodes that we've done. I mean, our relationship, Marino, is. Not as strong as the others. No, 100%. But that's why I was happy that he sat in with us. Because I go, listen, this is about dudes being dudes, drinking beer, talking shop. It is also hard to read someone's tweet and read it the way that they would say it to your face. For those of you listening to him say that, know that if I tweet something and you think to yourself, Drew tweeted that. I know it's Drew. Because he used an emoji and proper punctuation and well, it's proper not capitalization. That. It's, it's, but also, it came off like a sarcastic dick. Know that I probably meant that. 
Yeah, it's, <laughs> you, it's hard to read a tweet how that person, whether it's you or me, tweeting. No, it, it was. It was. It, but it's it was always great. good. It's always good to be able to meet the fellow content. And I don't. I don't think. I think we've met everybody else, or at least you. You've met everybody else, but not. Marino. Yeah, and so it was great to get to meet that guy, and also I just, I have a lot of respect for what he knows about football, and it was cool to watch him, like during that podcast, Chris, you saw it, I took my hands off the wheel for a bit and just let people go, because that's, because we're having fun football conversations, that's the point of this. No, 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 it's because you're dumb. <laughs> you're dumb. But so then he apologizes because he's like, well, I'm here and I've got John Fina in the room with me. And I got to go, no, that's what this is about, brother. That's what we do here. I love that we got to have that experience together. So it was just a fun time. Huge shout out to Joe Miller for help. Joe actually helped me ride the levels. He's actually the, the levels being correct throughout the show. Joe Miller. Joe Miller actually kind of helped me ride those. Well, you know, he was in a Christian rock band. Yes. So, so Joe helped with the levels. Uh, we kept the conversation moving. John Fina helped keep it short. We literally were like a fucked up A team of podcasts. <laughs> I could, I could see that. I love it. But so I was obviously a winner this week. Why don't we talk about the NFL at large and get into some of these winners and losers? Because I, have. we start off with the winners of the week across the NFL at large, and I want to start with ruthless Jacksonville Jaguars fans. It's rare to hear winning. And Jaguars in the same sentence these days. But for the their rowdy equivalent of the Bills rock pile section, they're winners in my book today after they decided en masse to welcome Deshaun Watson back to the NFL after his year-long hiatus. I like it. <laughs> it's a classic. And that's one of the problems the NFL has going for it right now in this whole mess, isn't it? Yeah. N not only is this entire saga pretty gross, it's a, it's a black eye for the league, but you have incredibly petty fan bases around the NFL that are just licking their chops to get like, oh, this guy? Oh, you mean that quarterback is going to come in my building and try to win a football game? Oh, I can't wait to give him the business. So when the games actually matter and this guy sees the football field, like they're going to be ready for him, even if they do have to wait until week 12 in order to do it. They the league and the Browns have to know that this isn't going to go away and that this is going to get ugly in fact, it could get much uglier than what you just heard. I mean, I've got a story. I went to the Monday Night Football game between the Bills and the Dallas Cowboys. Until Josh Allen got here, it was the last Monday Night Football we were booked or game we were booked for here in Buffalo. So I go to the game. Chris, I don't know if you remember how many interceptions Tony Romo threw in the first half. I was like four or five. So... What people at home don't realize, what my father caught whispers of during the broadcast, like just little, he was like, wait, so I get a call from my dad the day after the game and he goes, I want to make sure I didn't hear what I thought I heard for just a split second during the broadcast. People chanting a certain 
we'll call it an epitaph that rhymes with Romo in conjunction with his name. And I said, Dad, I don't know how to tell you this, but it started in the cheap seats. People chanting this incredibly derogatory thing at Tony Romo. And then he threw an interception. The next time their offense took the field, the, the chance spread to like three sections and it got louder. And then he threw another interception. The next time Tony Romo saw the field, it was at least a third of the stadium was chanting this incredibly insulting. And now by now, you know, the players hear it. You can see Tony Romo looking around the stadium like, what the fuck, guys? What? And then he throws his third interception that I believe got popped up in the air and was a touchdown. And from there, it was bedlam. He never he like it took him halftime in order to recover from that. It derailed an entire half of Cowboys football. Just a, a incredibly insulting chant from the crowd. Now, I'm pretty sure that's kind of how Buffalo got its. You know, th- that's the kind of stuff that gives Buffalo a bad name. In, in like NFL circles when players go, oh, Buffalo's a terrible place to have to go play. But also, it shows you the po- people go, oh, they're highly paid athletes. They should be able to block out the crowd. I don't know, man. Even I've got thick skin. If there's 18,000 people chanting something that's incredibly derogatory towards me, I don't know how much. How long can you block that out for, Chris? Not long. <laughs> And, well, you can say that you can debate the merits of this thing and the effectiveness. They not only created viral video content, which is only going to spawn increasingly outrageous acts directed at Watson, like when, I mean, hopeful, the NFL has to hope this dies down by then, but it won't. Also, the fact that he went one for five for seven yards and then they pulled him off the football field, maybe that's evidence that that approach works. I don't know. I just I thought it was hilarious that they took it upon themselves to organize and then when he's backed up in the shadow of his own goalposts just let him have it. Like that's Chris that's balls right there. I like that. The losers in this entire thing are the 2022 Cleveland Browns. The Watson suspension's official. The number seems to be 11 games. 11 weeks of the NFL season where their game day quarterbacking is going to be spearheaded by Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> oh. uh, any idea why they did an odd number? I Odd number what? An odd number. Who's an odd number? The suspension. It's 11 games. That does what? seem weird. Do you know why it's 11 games? Why is it 11? Because what was the talk before? He suspended 6, 8, 10, 12, the whole season. I mean, I know you get the season 17, but... I mean, you get where I'm going with this. Uh, do you want to do me a favor? I want you to pull up... Pull up their schedule. The Cleveland Browns schedule on your, uh, on your laptop. Aren't you supposed to be the Jamie here on this well, podcast? Well, I'm the one talking here. And right, I, that's I, fair. Fair? I, I, I want you to I want you fair. to I want you to pull up week twelve schedule and I want you to tell me who the Cleveland Browns are playing in week twelve. Oh, I already know. It's the Houston Texans. Oh really? Yeah. Really? Look at that. What a scumbag move by the NFL. They're like, well, we want to give you that one back just so yeah. we can put you on TV and have you go back to Houston. Yeah. Oh God. So we're going to have to watch a rusty-ass Deshaun Watson play Davis Mills. 
That is disaster written all over what, it. Um, this either could be like a petty man's dream or one of the worst displays of NFL football ever. Do you still have Week 12 pulled up? Uh, no, let me get it back up here. Get Week 12 back up here because with that, I don't know if the NFL would go this far in, in doing this, but pull up the Week 12 schedule and tell me who is playing on Sunday Night Football and if that's a possible game to flex in Sunday Night Football. Well, I... I, I, I get where you're going with this, but I think that they've already, like, this is the whole thing's already disgusting enough. If they did that just as a shameless cash grab. You know, Goodell would do that. I do. That's the depressing thing, is I feel like the NFL do might we, do Do we this. know what. No, so, I'm looking for 12, week 12 schedule and I'm not finding it. You yet. can't find it on Google? Here we go. No, that's 2021. See, like, they're just hiding this shit. It's very simple. Week 12 schedule. And you should be able to find Here we go. So the Monday night football game is Steelers-Colts. Sunday night game is Packers-Eagles. That one probably has playoff implications in the NFC. I don't think they'll book. They're not going to move that. It it could. could, Well, you never know what's going to happen with the NFC East. How often? Look look at that home run. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, wait. Week 12. Look at that. Vlad Guerrero just hit a home run. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that because I'm talking <laughs> football, Chris, not paying attention to horseshit stickball. We have the game. We it's have... in the studio <laughs> against my wishes. Yeah, we have we have the Blue Jays and Yankees game on, and Vlad Guerrero just went yard. Yeah, if that's week 12, I mean, nobody in that, and the NFC East is like a crapshoot. It's like a different team wins it every every year. So the Eagles could be bad. I wouldn't be surprised if Goodell makes a play to flex Houston and Cleveland into Sunday night. I wouldn't put him past them. So here's what I know about this, though. So Jacoby Brissett's your starting quarterback. What can the Browns expect from Brissett? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. He's got a 14-23 and 23 career record as a starter. He hasn't thrown for more than 251 yards in a game since December of 2019. For a team that tried to build a vertical passing game off the fact that, like, hey, teams are going to have to respect our running ability and we're going to be able to take shots downfield and use play action. Brissett's stats and grades off play action over his three years' worth of starts leave him in the bottom third of all quarterbacks. He's 20 of 64, which is 31%, with two touchdowns and four picks on passes of more than 20 yards downfield since 2019. <laughs> The Browns' offense in one fell swoop has gone from being something you could threaten another team with by attacking them downfield with the size and speed of your tight ends and wide receivers to a dollar store version of the Tennessee Titans. Gone are your light boxes that you might be able to run against. I'd be surprised, okay, if in Watson's absence, the Browns don't lead the NFL in plays against eight or more defenders in the box. I know that NFL Next Gen Stats charts that statistic. I'm going to be looking at it every single week just to see if the Browns running backs qualify in the top five every single week. I bet, I'm willing to bet a Seagram's they will. So, with that in mind, it brings me back to the Buffalo Bills. Do you remember what the final years of Fitz's tenure here were like? No. He was on the ropes. Everybody knew that he couldn't throw the ball deep, so defense is just squatted inside of a 15-yard box. Basically, said, listen, if you think you can throw it 40 yards downfield, try. Otherwise, we're going to sit on every underneath route and just wait. And it decimated our offense. <laughs> That's what the Browns are looking at. It was hell. And they're here now. And I'll tell you, I, I'll say it like this. 
Jacoby Brissett couldn't hold Ryan Fitzpatrick's jockstrap. So their life is going to be hell. And if something happens to Brissett, Josh Dobbs is your starter. Former Tennessee quarterback. That's the last thing he did anyone gave a shit about. Well, he was a backup with the Steelers. Yeah, for the preseason. He never played. Okay? I think the silver lining here for everyone in this, considering the national appetite for larger punishment for Watson, is that all of a sudden that soft schedule, remember, like it, it almost seemed like at the start when they started talking about a six-game suspension, you heard some shit from Browns fans, and you saw it online. Them talking about, like, well, look at our six. Uh, if we just make it out of the six games, we could still be a contender this year. Now you look at this and say you've got 11 games of Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs? It's a fucking laugher. Weeks one through four, okay? Carolina, that's still a must-watch. Baker Mayfield against Carol- against the Browns in week one with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, you know he's loving this, right? Yeah. If he wins that game, like the pettiness he's going to exude will like that. That's going to recharge my batteries for almost the entire NFL season. Pittsburgh is going to be tough because Pittsburgh is better coached and has a better overall roster than the Browns. They can maybe go 500, but to, for them to go three and one during this early stretch of games seems crazy because those three wins in four games would make up more than a fifth of Brissett's total career wins in a single four game window. Yeah, what are the odds of that happening? I don't know, not much. Weeks five through nine, they play L.A., Cincinnati, Baltimore, New England. L.A. and Cincinnati finished fifth and ninth in scoring last year and made moves to try to get stronger on offense, specifically in their offensive lines. I don't know how the Browns keep pace when they have, uh, to, to quote Turk Schoenert, a horseshit pop gun offense. <laughs> like, I don't know what you can expect to do there. Look at this. They're essentially modeled after, because of their quarterback play, the Titans, who only finished 14th in scoring last season, and they have Derek fucking Henry. Meanwhile, Baltimore, New England, unknowns as to what they're going to be on offense, but they also run the ball well and are better coached, have a deeper roster. Ultimately, I don't know how... If they win a single one of that game, one of that four-game stretch, I'm sure those... Fucking loser Browns fans will throw a parade like they did when they finished 0-16. That means that by the time they get around to playing the Buffalo Bills in Week 11, the final week of Watson's suspension, there's a very real chance that we're looking at a 3-4 to four win football team that's already run out of things to play for. That's nice, and I'm not going to lie. I like the idea of us going up against an opponent that literally has no will to live. And then just like, remember when we shut out Houston and Spencer Brown was just out there talking shit? Yeah. Josh Allen's out there just embarrassing their linebackers and safeties in the open field. Like we had no, we didn't take our foot off the gas. We embar- I think what we score 40 in that game or 37. Something like that. It was a lot. We poured it out. We poured it on. I'm kind of looking forward to the ability to do that to the Browns. At the same time, I'd have loved the opportunity to get our section together for that game and cook up something really saucy for Deshaun Watson if he was starting for the Browns in that game. Heckling is, after all, the great American pastime. It's a better one than fucking baseball. I mean, hey, I mean, this game seems to be over already. It's 5 nothing Toronto. (laughs) Ha! It's the sack bottom of the second inning. I tweeted. I tweeted last night. 
just because, again, Pettiest Bills Podcasters, I tweeted the Sports Rock 2, uh, Ryan uh, Sullivan. Ryan Sullivan over at Cover 1, he tweeted out something about how it was depressing being a Yankees fan right now, how this is the lowest he's felt all season. Oh, yeah, when they're in first place. And I, and I tweeted about how there's something, I hate baseball, but there's something funny about this annual progression that I've gotten to watch take place over the last few years, how Yankees fans start every season really confident, uber cocky. And by the time the fall starts to roll around, they're all just desolate. Because cause it really does remind me of what being a Buffalo Bills fan is all about. Let me ask you this about Cleveland, because I hear it on the national level. I've heard uh, Cowherd talk about Cleveland getting in that Jimmy Garoppolo sweepstakes. Pfft, fucking bring me Jimmy, Gar- Jimmy Garoppolo. You bring the Buffalo Bills defense, a quarterback who can't throw more than 10 yards downfield, we will... F- uh, it would be X-rated what we do to that, <laughs> to that Cleveland Browns offense with that guy at the helm. <laughs> They'd have to air the replays of the game on Pornhub. That's how bad it would get. So if we just take a look at the AFC East, there's a, there's a couple winners. The first one is Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel. Chris, we talked about it a little bit with El Fartiaga in our AFC's Roundup podcast. I never thought I would see somebody who could make the Dolphins' passing attack look viable at an NFL level. They've been just painfully mediocre over the last two seasons, while maybe having one of the better rosters that they've had in recent years. So it's interesting that in their first preseason game, God, I've got the burps here, this whiskey. Uh, what is it? Uh, what was it called? Rolling Standard? Yeah. It's pretty good, but it's giving me, like, guy. Uh, because it's made with four grains? Maybe. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's giving me, like, a hiccup almost. It's weird. He found a way to scheme up an offense that, hey, listen, our quarterbacks don't have to do too much because we know our quarterbacks suck. Let's make an offense that can just flow based on scheme. And guess what? It worked. And for people who go, oh, well, just wait till the regular season Jared Goff is not a good NFL quarterback. True or false, Chris? Who is it? Who's this? Jared Goff. He's not good. Not good. We saw what he brought to the table with the Lions. Did he elevate that team in any way, shape, or form? No, it was more so Dan Campbell. Okay. So somehow, uh, what's his face out there? The short guy with your stupid hair. There's a lot of those in the NFL now. Uh, L.A. Rams head coach. Oh, Sean McVay. Sean McVay. He has Matt Perino hair. Took that guy to a fucking Super Bowl. Why? Because the scheme provides. The scheme provides for mediocre quarterback play. Mike McDaniel might be the might be one of the biggest winners in the AFCs this season. Because he's found a way to say, listen, I don't have Josh Allen. I don't have a, an Aaron Rodgers. I might not even have a Jared Goff. What I do have is a scheme that's going to get guys in space when you try to take away the deep you know, the deep quarters of the field. That's fine. I'll pitch and catch underneath, but you can't touch my guys in the open field. And even with backups in, you could see that yards after the catch being produced in chunks. That guy, I still don't think that they're a threat to us yet. They're going to have to do it first, right? The same way we always used to sit here every offseason and go, this is the year we take down the Patriots. The Dolphins are going to have to do it to Josh Allen before I believe it because he's got one career loss against him and it was a nail-biter 
and literally involved Chuck Clay and fucking Zay Jones, who I'm glad that Chuck Clay's no longer a thing. How did Zay Jones get $10 million? I mean, that's the... How did Zay Jones get $10 million? I mean, How did Zay Jones get $10 million? You know what? You know what he did. I'll tell you what he did. I know what he did. It just came. To, it just came to me. He got a couple of his friends. Uh, I think one of them was Keanu Reeves. They put on face masks dressed as former presidents, and then they went to a bank and robbed it. <laughs> <laughs> Is this like Airheads meets uh, like John Wick? I thought it was. I thought like, I. We're gonna break into the radio station and make them play our song. I thought I just broke down Point Break. Oh, look at you! <laughs> did I not just? How do you know movies? <laughs> Where the fuck did you pull that from? You don't know any movie. You completely missed. And you know Point Break. People were people listening to this right now are probably just going, "Oh, Chris just talked about Point Break," and you're like, <laughs> "Is this some sort? Of, is this some sort? Of, who's the Airhead now for referencing Airheads? <laughs> you fucking idiot." This is why I love this God. fucking podcast. I love it. God. All right. All right. So aside from Mike McDaniel, rookie wide receiver Tyquan Thornton, here's something you've never heard before. A Patriots rookie wide receiver is playing like he actually belongs in the fucking NFL. Thornton was really impressive from what I saw in the condensed version of the game. Even on some of his incompletions, like those looked more the byproduct of like uh, underthrown footballs. You watch him, he has footwork, he has route running, he has raw speed. His stutter and go route was devastating. And then Mac, not Mac Jones, Jesus Christ, I think it was Bailey Zappi, underthrows the football, and he comes back and breaks it up, but he can't get the completion. But he smoked that DB off the line. I don't know how he'll fare against another team's number one cornerback. Like, if he has to go up against Trey White, I don't think he's going to do well. Maybe even a Kyrie Elam who could jam him at the line. I don't know. But I do know that for the first time in a long time, there's a Patriots wide receiver who looks like he's worth the shit. I, how many? Aaron Dobbs? Uh, Nikhil Harry? Uh, how many others, Chris? How many other wide receivers has that, that team drafted that just... Chad Jackson? Chad Jackson. Just flaming garbage. Tyquan Thornton looks like he might actually be... One of the first top 60 picks at wide receiver for the Patriots that might amount to something in the NFL. I don't if, know what, but if, something. If that's the case, then you got to give props to the to Belichick actually letting the scout scout. Yeah, how often at around draft time did the scout scout and they go, we got all this information on all these players, and then Belichick just throws it away and goes, no, I'm good, I'll, t- I'll take it from here. I know what I'm doing. I don't need any of your uh, scouting. Go back and start prepping for the following season because I just, my opinion is overvalued by what you think, <laughs> who's probably been at the these collegiate games watching these players. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of hilarious. But, again, it's a long preseason. It's just one game, but for the week, Tyquan Thornton gets the, he gets the crown, right? He had a nice touchdown grab. He had some impressive route running. I like what I saw. Now, in terms of losers, right? Losers, Chris. We have to start with the Jets once again. And at a certain point, we're going to almost have to outlaw them. The same way, like, we kind of made a rule on this podcast that naming Josh Allen the hero of the game is like a break glass in case of emergency scenario. 
You don't do it unless you have to because it's low-hanging fruit. I think I'm going to have to do that to the Jets at this point and bring them up as the losers. Their team was just getting over the loss of former number 11 overall pick Mekhi Becton by signing left tackle Dwayne Brown, and fans were starting to pull themselves out of their funk, and then the Jets took the field again. I've had it with this dump! We got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off! That's the trainer in his office, just like, fuck this, I quit, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Quinn and Williams, the centerpiece of their front seven, is missing time with an ankle injury he's sustained, but the big one is the fluky nature by which their sophomore cornerback managed to, what, tear his meniscus? Just running in the open field. Wasn't the book on him coming out of BYU that he was this mobile but athletic quarterback, short but with a big arm? Yeah, did you see his pro day where he did that rollout to the his, I guess, his off arm? I don't know if that's a thing. No. Yeah, his pro day. You know, you know, every quarterback with a huge arm makes that rollout to their, I oh, guess, and then to the left. Across their body. And then throws across their body like 50 yards down the field. It was the greatest throw since Josh Allen did that same throw in his pro day. Yeah, well, one difference between him and they they might have that in common. Josh Allen runs over linebackers. Josh Allen breaks ankles in the open field. He doesn't tear his knee while trying to do it. Yeah, I'm still waiting. Thank for God. It. Hey, knock on wood. Well, I'm still waiting for him to sleep with somebody's mother. <laughs> Knowing Josh Allen, if he wins a Super Bowl, there's probably going to be a line around the block. There would be a, if they said, hey, wait, is that the thing? All right, you can sleep with my mom. That's cool. <laughs> Didn't Kyle Trimble tell us that the New York Jets team was attempting to change their injury fortunes by adding guys who weren't injury prone? Correct. This is the problem with that approach. Rather than making dynamic changes to the way your whole roster prepares their bodies, the sports science you apply, the facilities that you utilize in order to prepare your bodies and make sure that you stay healthy, the plyometrics, the stretching... It seems kind of silly, like, to just, like, you you what? You're like, well, the new guys coming in are going to be healthier. Yeah, but those new guys, that's like 10 guys on a 53-man roster. That doesn't fix the guys who keep getting hurt. That's the bulk of the whole fucking roster. I'll say this. Owners only tolerate losing based on injuries for so long. Like you get a pass your first season if they go, well, look at their injury situation. They had nobody. Their offensive line was banged up. At a certain point, it stops being a viable excuse and starts becoming an indictment of the head coach and GM and just the refusal to think outside the box in order to keep their team healthy. And that's a problem. It's a big fucking problem that, that uh, what's his face? Who's their GM? I'm oh. drawing a blank. I wanted to say, I almost said George Costanza. I think Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. This is going to be a hurdle they have to clear because if not, they're in big trouble. Well, then they'll just, what they'll do is they'll fire one and then that new person will do it for one year before the other guy is fired. Kind of like what they've been doing the last couple of GM head coaches. I mean, if there is a silver lining for Bills fans to this downfall of the Jets in terms of their health and Zach Wilson, uh, the fake confidence that I've gotten used to seeing from Jets fans like leading up to the actual start of the NFL season, 
Like, <laughs> that's gone. So that's, hey, at least we have that. Is it like Yankee Confidence? Yes. What we're watching on the TV? What is, and hilariously enough, what is it about New York sports? What is it about New York sports that you guys start off so fucking cocky every year and then all of your teams are dog shit? The Jets, the at least the Mets are good. Go Mets! In fact, if there was a baseball team, they were my team. You have to rephrase that. Back in 08, when the Jet, when the Mets missed the play, because I, when I came home from college and I needed a booze, and I needed a sport to watch on TV while I was drinking alone in my house, I couldn't be a Yankees fan because I felt like a bandwagoner, and I just hate the fact that they 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 struck me as the Patriots of Major League Baseball. Instead, I looked at. SNY, because it was on every night, the Mets were on every night, and then came the year where they missed the playoffs. All they had to do was win one of their last eight games, and they lost all of them, and missed the postseason, and it was one of the greatest, like, I was like, this is my team now. This cements them as a team I can root for. Yeah, well, you say, well, at least the Mets are, the Mets have been good for this season. No, my point. No, no, they made one other one, they played the Kansas City Royals. For national, for the major league title, no. Yep, no. Yeah, the no. Mets played the Royals. The Mets haven't been they. They're good this year, but they haven't been good the last five years. Who gives a fuck? Who cares? Baseball stinks. Yeah. At least I have one team you're, from you're, New York that's actually worth a shit. Because guess what? Even when the Mets are bad, then guess what? All four New York area teams are bad. All four teams are bad. Baseball, football, they all stink. At least the Mets are doing something this year. Awesome. I love it. Can't wait to see it. You know who you know who else stinks? The Patriots coaching staff. Here we go. One of the more controversial parts of the podcast. We've been trashing these guys all offseason for their perceived mess at offensive coordinator. But some of the things that we're seeing here are an indictment that the issues might be bigger than that. And some of the fracturing. I don't know this. Some of the fracturing that we're seeing of this football team in the, the the now defunct Patriot way might be bigger than even shit talkers like you and me think that they are. That looks like a throw by you. We're watching Berrios just throw one into the dugout. Yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. So Chris, what what do I say all the time? You put baseball on, and you're like, look at this. Look, baseball's great. No, it's not. Baseball sucks. All I, Every time you turn it on, all I watch is literally what looks like Little League baseball play on a major league stage. Every single time. True or false? Every time we watch it at your house, shenanigans. Yeah. you you. Well, I'll, I'll point out you've missed it as you've been uh, the one mostly talking about this. They did earlier in the game. might have been second inning. They went to the bottom half of the inning. And they showed a child crying. So I tweeted at Ryan Sullivan and asked him if he was at the game. <laughs> <laughs> they, they showed a child Yankee fan crying. Oh, Ryan Sullivan, are you at the game? I just saw a child crying. So for the Patriots in their preseason game, they fared better than a lot of people expected they might. We, we were told they were going to be a mess. That's not how it played out. At the same time, their backup offensive line was pretty terrible. Right? They're running back, so what, one and a half yards per, per carry on six attempts? Uh, what, 52 yards collectively as a unit? Like, you think about this, Dante Scarnecchia isn't dead, but he's rolling over in his grave already. Looking at the state of the Patriots' offensive line, these young offensive linemen aren't growing the way that I think that they anticipated. And as practices go on, 
as a unit from top to bottom, they've allowed pressures, they've allowed sacks, especially going into these practices with the Panthers. That's not great considering the crux of your offense in 2022 is going to be running the football. It's not great that it doesn't seem like you can do that consistently. Then there's this aspect of it, the fights. Everybody has camp fights. That happens. Our fucking quarterback started one at what? As soon as the pads came on. Yeah, with Jordan Phillips. So I get fighting in training camp. This shit happens. But the stuff going on for New England seems wholly out of character for these guys. Considering what a strong grip on the team Belichick currently has. And the fact that everybody who joins the Patriots knows that he is a one and done for the day policy when it comes to fighting. Doesn't matter if it's with a teammate, doesn't matter what it is. The second you throw a punch, you're done for the day. They've known this. Everyone knows it about Bill Belichick. And yet you look at what's happened, Chris. Tuesday, Belichick had to throw his second string center, his backup wide receiver, Christian Christian Wilkerson, and starting wide receiver, Kendrick Bourne. Throw him out of practice for starting a bench-clearing brawl between the Panthers and the Patriots starters, which came a day after Wilkerson got knocked unconscious by an overzealous safety from the Panthers. I think it was Kenny Robinson who did it. Wednesday, veteran defensive end Dietrich Wise got tossed, but not before incurring what might be a litigious nightmare. Uh, Mark Smith, Rockpile Report attorney, could probably comment on this. He not only started a fight with a bunch of Panthers, but then somehow the fight bled over into the spectator area and Dietrich Wise fell on and injured a spectator, just a fan, who was there to watch practice for the day. Tell me that's not a lawsuit. Sounds like a lawsuit. Well, that, I, well I would, I would, I, I don't know. I guess my first question of trying to be Mark would be, uh, you know, uh, give me a six pack of Miller High Life so I can handle this case. But then also, were there designate? Was this in a designated fans stay here zone? Yes, and the the fight got so out of hand that it spilled out of the field and into the fan area. That's a fucking problem, isn't it? Yeah. Somebody get a hold of that guy. Tell him to get a hold of Mark Smith, attorney at law. Throw in the fact that that same day, a day after Kendrick Bourne had to be kicked off the field for fighting, he got thrown off the field. Uh, so, so they have officials who show up to these joint practice, like real NFL refs will come and work these practices, right? Yep. You're familiar with this. Kendrick Bourne got kicked off the field at the beginning of practice for a uniform violation. And Bill Belichick was seen screaming at him on the sidelines. Like, this is the type of shit that you hear about the Washington football team, the Lions, the mid-2000s Bills. This isn't the Patriots, right? Like, this type of stuff didn't happen to the New England Patriots, did it? No, it didn't. We all talk about how hard it's been for Belichick to win since Brady left. He has a 17-16 and 16 record after 2019. But one thing that doesn't get the same amount of price is how hard it is to maintain culture when your banner carrier fucking leaves and when you lose the guys who established that culture. First of all, Bill Belichick. Everyone's talking about why he brought back... Uh, Joe Marino made a really great point to me while we were recording the uh, podcast at O'Neill's. Off air, and he just pointed out that the problem with the Patriots is that this is a who do you know business. 
You know, you look around and you say, who do I trust? Who do I know here in the NFL to be my guy? And the Bill Belichick has exhausted his Rolodex. He has nobody else to call up to be an offensive coordinator. Josh McDaniels was his last guy. He's gone now. So he's going back to the well just for names he's familiar with. But these guys aren't offensive coordinators. He has no coaching help. Bill Belichick, by virtue of his own success and maybe some of his own personality rubbing people the wrong way, has become a man on an island with no help coming. That's a problem when you realize he's also lost world-class offensive line coordinator Dante Sarnacchia. Josh McDaniels is an offensive coordinator. Then you look at the roster itself. Nate Ebner, special teams phenom. God, I think at one point he was a captain. Maybe him and Matthew Slater have traded off in that role. Linebackers Kyle Van Noy and Landon Roberts have left the team. They were some of the heart and soul of the best teams those guys put together at the linebacker position. Donta Hightower, who has been a stalwart of that team for years. Jason McCourty at cornerback. Patrick Chung at safety. Joe Tooney. Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski as pass catchers. You've lost the toughness and the Belichick-like disciples. And what you're left with is a group of young kids who don't necessarily care about the Patriot way. It doesn't resonate with them. And there's nobody left on the roster to help instill that culture. You add to that dynamic, add, add this dynamic to the top of what is going on in the offense with the coordinating position. And it just feels like Bill Belichick has had this Darth Vader-esque grip on coaching in the NFL for 20-plus years. He's always regarded as one of the best. Yep. That seems to be slipping. And it's a problem because, like, even though the national media might give him more credit, you can see this thing fracturing. You can see that grip loosening, and it might be happening at a faster rate than anyone wants to admit. The rest of this preseason is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out and how they start the season, given that they have to go on the road. You know, uh, in this week's AFC's roundup, uh, Christian Simonelli made a very good point. He goes, this year's camp has been a country club compared to years past. And then at the same time, we're here talking about how he's hearing from other Patriots fans. Oh, well, they every year they figure it out. They figure it out, and they, to use the early season as kind of an experimental period anyway, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that was when you had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Their first three games are all AFC contests that could sink them in the wildcard race if they go one and three, one and two, one and three to start it. They, I think that this thing, like this is the Titanic, and it could already be taking on water and sinking before anyone realizes it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And that brings us to the Bills versus the Colts. Obviously, I don't want to end on a down note, so we're going to start with the losers. For the Buffalo Bills this week, the losers coming out of this pre first preseason game, the backup offensive line. <sighs> when the Bills made the decision to sit their starters for this one and let their record... When the Bills made the decision to sit their starters and let the second string on both sides of the ball play against the Colts starters for an entire half, you had to have the idea that things wouldn't go perfectly because how could they? But even with that in mind, it's a little bit surprising. I mean, seventh round rookie Luke, Luke Tenuta gets the start. Tied for seventh worst in the NFL last week with four pressures allowed, one sack, one quarterback hit, and two quarterback hurries. Undrafted free agent right tackle Alec Anderson. Fuck is he? Six pressures, one quarterback hit, and five quarterback hurries. Tied for the most pressure in the NFL after the first week. Bobby Hart let up two pressures and two quarterback hurries in just 16 snaps. Greg Van Rotten playing center. No glaring miscues, but wasn't distinguishable amongst a sea of shitty offensive line play. Tommy Doyle took a personal foul, which was kind of unnecessary. Relatively steady day, which is encouraging. Uh, Jordan Simmons did better than I thought he would in pass protection. But I, I talked a lot of shit last in the last show about Case Keenum. And now I'm sitting here thinking to myself, even as I'm looking at these numbers going, I don't know. I think he had a disappointing performance, but how could you blame him for this? If the offensive line they put out there in front of you can't stop a fucking nosebleed. It's kind of hard to uh, watch Keenum's performance and know, God forbid, if there was ever a situation. It's not like when Keenum comes into the game for an Allen injury that the twos also come in. Well, exactly. So, like I said on the last show, I'd like to see one series of Keenum with the starters, if possible. I I hope so. Here's the problem that I have. Our starters need reps. Reason why I've got I meant to talk about this when we recorded the O'Neill's podcast, and we just I I, I had a chance to get into the conversation, but I, I Joe and. John Fina and Joe Marino were riffing to a point where I didn't want to stop them. Or was this where, because if you looked in our DMs, I praised Joe Miller for it. Because I said, thank you for keeping this show no, to no, an no, no. hour. Because this was early on in the podcast when we were oh. talking about offensive line play. When you look at the Bills offensive line in 2020 and you think about what you saw and you think about what that turned into, right? So early on, 2020, because of COVID, they canceled the preseason. And there was no real blocking because there was no preseason games. So the first time that they got to really hit another human being in another uniform, and because that's what playing the offensive line is, right? 
True or false, Chris? Like you have True to, statement. You have to get those reps in order to really kind of, I don't know, have your shit together, I'll say, as an offensive line. So what I saw was just, you go into that season and the Bills start hot. You go 4-0, but you saw, started to see signs that, that L.A. Rams front seven terrorized Josh Allen in that game. A couple, a couple bounces and a couple good calls went our way. We win that football game. Otherwise, we're 2-1. and one. We're not 3-0. The Raiders game. The Raiders front seven is chasing Josh Allen all over the place. He actually gets injured in his non-throwing shoulder during that game. And then all of our chickens came home to roost the next week against Tennessee when a, a really physical defensive line just manhandled our offensive line, held our rushing attack in check, and forced turnovers that basically just became a rout of a primetime game. So looking at 2022, our starting offensive line is only now getting onto the field together for the first time, and this is the first time some of them have played in the spot they're going to play in. Bates, 81% of his snaps at left guard, 2021. He's now our right guard for 2022. Saffold has never played with Dawkins or Morse and just started practicing with the ones. Brown is a second-year starter who hasn't seen the field with the ones at all and has never played with Bates on his on his left. So I don't know. Like, the lack of continuity and lack of time-building familiarity is concerning. And when you look at the fact that our depth guys can't be trusted to pick it up, I don't like that. That scares the hell out of me. As our starters get back, we're going to need those depth guys to pull their weight. So if nothing else, we can produce more plays that allow the staff to evaluate everybody on the offense and also make them feel more comfortable giving the starters a little bit of rest. Like, because the starters are going to play, Chris. They're going to play this week. If Josh Allen's on the field, he's going, like, they're going to be out there. They won't put, they're not going to put Josh Allen out there behind the backups, right? No. But also, the starters have ex- have less playing time than the backups. So there might come a, a time where some of these backups have to play in front of Josh Allen this preseason. I want to trust that some of them can pull their own weight. Jamison Crowder. Holy shit. Not- wow. What the <laughs> fuck am I looking at here? I hate baseball. <laughs> I, I hate this. What did I just? Well, what was that, Chris? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll reference it in one word. Moo. Jesus. <laughs> of course, the baseball cameraman would find that in the crowd. Moo. Because it's way more <laughs> exciting than anything going on in the field. Moo. Wide receiver Jamison Crowder. A rookie mistake from a veteran player that'll just leave a skid mark in his drawers. <laughs> Especially a veteran who thought he was signing with Buffalo to be a starter, and all of a sudden he has to look over on the sideline and see that Isaiah McKenzie's wearing sunglasses and talking shit. Well, he's got to go out there and play as if he's got to earn his job. I can only imagine then, knowing that that's the overarching narrative, what was going through Crowder's head in that moment, just watching the ball trampoline off his hands directly to his safety. You suck, you jackass. For a guy who hasn't had a ton of practice time and who is still going to get heavy consideration for the final roster, like, he's not getting cut, Chris. I've already seen this, this hot takery. Oh, cut Crowder! Khalil Shakir should be the starter! You people are out of your fucking minds. But, I do think that 
Crowder's probably going to have to work with the twos now, isn't he? Yeah. Like, look at look at this. It opened the door for other wide receivers to get playing time because they pulled him off the field. He had one target, no catches, four routes run, including that one that resulted in the interception, five total passing snaps, and then they pulled him off the field. They were like, all right, we saw enough from you. Let's get Khalil Shakir more reps. That is a concerning trend. It's it's a sign, first of all, that he's got a lot of rust to knock off, maybe more than we thought he did. But also that this team is like, listen, we know what you are and we know what you can be, so go sit down. But also it's never good when they give your reps to somebody else. Because in the NFL, it's a what for you, what have you done for me lately league. If Khalil Shakir continues to take more reps in these preseason games than Jameson Crowder and shows out, and then you watch the back half of the game with Isaiah Hodgins doing what he did this past week, maybe you start to flirt with the idea that you don't need Jamison Crowder. Maybe. Just crazy. I'm being crazy here. But maybe the football team goes, we know that Kumaro is a core special teamer. We know that Hodgins, maybe there's something here with this kid. We, we, could, avoid a, we could avoid some money. And just get rid of Jamison Crowder. Maybe maybe try to sneak him out of the practice squad. Maybe someone else takes him off our hands and we don't have to worry about it. I don't know. What I do know is that the team needs him to be up to speed enough to pull off those types of routine plays on a regular basis. And he, he needs to show up next week and show that he has it. The other guy that's a loser for this week is A.J. Epinesa. The whole purpose of sitting your starters in the preseason is because you're hoping to give more reps and screen time to guys who are fighting for jobs, and you're trying to keep the number ones healthy. But also, by default, as a byproduct of that, you get to see if any of your more tenured players have developed, and you can sort out your internal depth chart. Who's your first backup off the bench? If you're talking about rotational defensive ends, something the Bills do ad nauseum, Who's the first guy off the bench? Sometimes it's situational. You know, if it's, I'm sure Von Miller's our, you know, obviously our left end. Greg Rousseau's going to be the right end. Or maybe that's flipped. Fuck whiskey. Call call in if you know. Either way, it's going to be a hell of a rotation. It's a rotation, but the question is, so let's say you want for a specific package, you want Von Miller along with somebody else. Greg Rousseau has just been in for three straight snaps. He needs to rotate out. Who's the next man up? Well, this is what these games are here to show you, is who is going to be the guy who steps in and makes the next play? Who do you trust to come in and show that he's not just lost out here? For Epinesa, this was the first of three opportunities for him to prove that as a depth player, he deserves a better slice of the playing time pie. I'm sure the coaching staff was just as disappointed as I am. I didn't like the Epinesa pick. You remember that. Yeah. I destroyed you, a draft live stream. <laughs> yeah, you did. We were It was a COVID draft all of stream, hash, quote unquote, hashtag was there. All of hashtag front. Sports Nation hates me, and I love the fact that I'm the vet. Like, I'll wear the black hey, hat anytime. At this point, you may be right. Who looks right now? Dick bags. Wait, did I just say dick bags? Yeah. On it, a podcast. All right. It's 
Well, it's not often that you you're right about a draft pick being wrong. Usually it's the other way around. Yeah, usually if I hate them, they pan out and they do exceptionally well. Epines is a guy that the team marginalized down the stretch last year. His play waned to a point that he was only getting he was getting less than 31% of the snaps towards the end. And in our divisional game against Kansas City, he only saw 25% of the snaps. Meanwhile, the team the times that they made him inactive, they directly gave those snaps to Boogie Basham. So that tells me, and in that case, Boogie Basham was more productive. He finished the season with more sacks, more pressures, more tackles for a loss. He, he out in just his small sample size, did more than Epinesa could. So with that in mind, you'd like to think Epinesa would want to get off to a fast start in 2022, and it didn't happen. 11 snaps, no pressures, and five pass rush attempts. Uh, two assists on tackles. That, that's his stat line for the day. Meanwhile, Basham was one of the best defenders on the field for Buffalo when the twos were out there. 17 snaps, one pressure, one sack, one forced fumble, one solo run stop in the open field. Even Shaq Lawson put something on tape. Like, he was playing with the third stringers, but at least he also did something. Epinesa just, just kind of was another guy out there. That's a bad look. And with the news coming that the starters are going to get some run to close out the preseason here, Epines is going to have fewer chances to show that he can be relied on. At this point, Chris, is it crazy to call him defensive end four, maybe defensive end five? Maybe. I just feel like he's playing his way into Cody Ford territory. He could be. I'll get there by Thanksgiving this year. I'll let you know by Thanksgiving. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. Now you obviously have to hold me to something else. Because the last loser we have out of Bills Colts, the old boy Drew Gear. Because I made a bet with Chris. It's, it's, I made a fucking bet. It's one of two bets. Now, I'll, uh, there's only one flavor in there. Oh, thank God. It's my favorite. Or at <laughs> least out of all these terrible flavors, it's the one. It's the one I always talk about. That's Calypso Colada. That's the only one I had to. I, I think I, I think I once said. This Seagram's tastes like you took a coconut and then you rubbed it onto the face of a really cold shovel and then hit me in the face with it. <laughs> yeah, we had a... It's on the Seagram's board first because you like to overthink shit like this because you think it's as, as nuanced as playing safe to your quarterback or wide receiver. Start chugging that, dude. Start chugging it. Fuck you. Start chugging it. Yeah, the bet was... Arise is going to hold the first preseason snap, and he did. You're just overthinking shit. All like I get, it's potentially going to cost him one or three points, but let's see what you got in the first game. God, and he hold he held on all of them. He held on the game winning field goal too. It's it's so sweet. Oh, dude, I left I left this I left this morning to go to to go to consumers. Oh. To uh, to get some Seagrams, and I went down Union, and they were single laning. Got brain freeze like it's ice cream. They were single laning over uh, at Union in the four hundred, and I had to I had to make a, a executive decision and go to the consumers by your house on French and Borden, and that was the only flavor that they had. I guess it's my lucky day. I guess you had been secretly buying them out because it was the only four pack that they had. 
Oh, my God. So as we talk about winners, I'm obviously the loser. Matt Ariza is a winner in this thing because I think he <laughs> showed everybody he has the chops to play NFL punter. That ball landed at Finnerty's in Ellicottville. Now, here's the thing I will say for all of you out there going, oh, look at Drew. He's a, re- he's a reject. <laughs> he's an asshole. He's this. He's at the other. Yeah, you, you saw that. I caught myself because it's not. We, well, we have a drop for that now. What's that? For when you say the word What is that? People already heard it. For when you say There's now a drop. Can we edit this out and stop saying the word No, because it's going to be put in there. People aren't going to know what we're saying. Oh, even so it's like the word Correct. <laughs> I love that nobody knows what just happened. So, <laughs> Matt Ariza had, obviously it makes the national news, his punt, his leg is the size of, uh, uh, his leg is huge, everything's great, he's a punt monster. His punt action was still a little slow. His holding was spot on. And what I, what I noted, Chris, is that the cameramen found him. Where else in the NFL right now, when a, when a field goal attempt happens... In any city other than Buffalo, is are all of the can like the main feed that you're watching on broadcast TV, trained on the hold for the field goal kick, not the actual field goal angle. Well, I will say that multiple times during that game. Well, I will say I be- I'm the people that listen to this that follow television and know what goes on in- into an in-game broadcast. I'm quite sure that the Bills or Channel 4, was it WIVB? Yes. Are responsible for the production of the broadcast. Yes. In the preseason. That's why they made so many fucking mistakes. They said that Case Keenum signed here as a free agent. Not not true. He was traded for from the Cleveland Browns. They also, they, they made like five other things and they also spelled the word safeties wrong <laughs> at one point. Yeah. Yeah. They're not great. But they did that right. They focused on the holds. He's pretty spot on. Looked good, didn't it? Yeah. Can't wait to talk talk to Reed and see what he thought, but he got the job done. There is one caveat oh. I'd like to throw in here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, no. I was this is cause you brought him I can't because I texted him a while ago about this. We haven't discussed it because you just mentioned Reed. I asked him, I sent him a text. I'd like to read what you write back to me on the podcast. Your initial reaction to the 82-yard punt. Good grief, why am I running so far? <laughs> That's, That's amazing. actual text from Reed. <laughs> That's awesome. So, for my tastes, and for those of you out there, there there's... There's uh, some analytics guys who have done some work, and they kind of figured out that because everyone's like, look, he can just boot it out of the back of the end zone every time for a touchback. They've shown, and remember how I talked about how hang time? Yeah. Big legs didn't make the playoffs, but guys who were tops in hang time did. Um, They showed that if, if you have a guy who kicks it out of the end zone every single time versus a guy who can kick it inside the five every time, inside the five becomes 
like way more advantageous over the course of an entire season than dude who just boots it out and doesn't give a return chance and starts at the 25. I just think that he's got to learn some of the nuances, but it's there, obviously, and he's got enough of the raw skill, plus he was a draft pick. There's no way he's not. He's a winner. That game made him a fucking winner. But the biggest winner of the entire weekend was the rookie Bills players. If I'm Brandon Bean watching that game, he had to spend most of it with a grin on his face. I'd imagine that like when he got to take a leak in the middle of the game, he strutted to the bathroom. He didn't just walk. He sauntered. He had a little hitch in his step. Because you don't, you don't see what you saw in the field from the Buffalo Bills, from the young depth of the Buffalo Bills, from the young depth that probably won't even make the fucking roster and just kind of saunter. Just kind of sashay. It has to make you feel pretty confident that you know what the fuck you're doing. I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at this. So just looking at my notes, as I'm watching the game, I'm making notes on my phone. I'm watching it with my kid. We're enjoying it. And then I rewatch it at night as I'm drinking whiskey. Elam, sticky on his first cover attempt. Hard route to defend on that slant from Pittman. And he, like, obvious man man cover skills. He has that down to a science. That's a textbook play against a really good wide receiver and good quarterback to break up a third down conversion. Benford, just like Elam, looks the part of an NFL cornerback. Nicely defended pass, sticky in man coverage. Obviously, they're, they have to grow into the ability to do zone, but... Who gives a shit? They're good at this thing. And we have guys who are good at zone. Balen Specter, instinctive, fast, played the part of a special teams linebacker and what you'd expect from a second or third teamer. Led the team in tackles, defended a pass in space, did everything you would expect a guy to do. Like, Shakir, open a ton early in the game against the starting defense of the Colts, was getting free releases off the line of scrimmage. Shifty, but then also showed that he was tough, fighting for extra yardage to get first downs. Just every aspect of his scouting report, you got to see on display in this game. And oh, what the back-to-back catches from Barkley that sparked the uh, third-quarter field goal drive to kind of really get us back on track couple big plays from Khalil Shakir, and all of a sudden we were back in business. Blackshear, Reem Blackshear, sparks our offense down the stretch. Made his own plays half the time. Just due to poor blocking, but he had wiggle, speed, something that most of the guys on the roster don't have. Like, you watched the youth and the, the deep depth of this roster pay dividends from start to finish in this football game. Kind of like Kirk with this base hit, knocks in another run, double guns. I fucking hate baseball. <laughs> I, I like that the Yankees are losing 6-2, but I hate the fact that you're... Sub- oh, look, here comes... What's well, what's that doofus's name? Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone. First of all, your last name's Boone. Like, that just makes me think of Boone, North Carolina, where my grandfather lives and where he was born and raised. I'll tell you what, Banner Elk County... There's no rocket scientists or baseball coaches coming out of Boone. Look at that. Kirk Kirk has a, a f- the figure of a 2010 Drew. <laughs> I love it. So he's basically a refrigerator. Yeah, he's round. <laughs> he's rotund, as, as we would say. Yeah. 
I like that I just opened a beer while I had a full one. We've reached that point in our podcasting. A, Mon- a Montucky and a Yingling. <laughs> we're we're going west and south at the same time. There we go. So this is the thing that I find most significant about the rookie depth of this and just seeing how they played. It's a huge boon for the Buffalo Bills, not just because they're showing well against other team starters and backups. It underscores that like the NFL's other perennial playoff contenders, the Blue Bloods, if you will, uh, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, Baltimore, they might have added another weapon to their arsenal in terms of team building, which is that they're learning how to find cheap depth every single offseason by squeezing value out of the draft and the UDFA process wherever possible. The, the Ravens recently broke the record for the most consecutive post uh, preseason wins. That's a fact. But the most impressive thing to come out of that conversation, I'm listening to ESPN Radio on my drive to work, and they bring up this statistic. The Ravens, under Ozzie Newsom, and now transferred to uh, DaCosta, I think his last name, I think that's who it is. The Ravens have drafted and brought in his undrafted free agents more players than any other franchise since 2000 that are still in the NFL or just in terms of total games played. They've dominated the NFL with their undrafted free agents and their late-round draft picks. And they've been... Chris, every single year the Ravens are in the thick of things. Even when things, injuries, quarterbacks go down, Joe Flacco decides he got paid and he can tuck it in, they're still a wild card contender every year. The reason why is because even though they have highly paid players, they have enough cheap depth that they can kind of back roll into this. So when you look at the Buffalo Bills, it almost smells like they're flirting with becoming that same type of football team. And before you call what we saw on Saturday a flash in the pan, consider that Saran Neal isn't a world beater, but he plays a multifaceted depth role on this team. When Matt Milano missed that Kansas City game, week five last year, yeah, Saran Neal took his snaps. Didn't look lost. He was a fifth-round pick in Bean's first draft class in 2018. Levi Wallace, undrafted free agent, turned CB2. Dane Jackson, seventh-round pick, turned CB2. Jaquan Johnson, safety three. Tommy Doyle, now he's looking at being our swing tackle this year. Damar Hamlin, maybe safety three or four. Now we're talking about guys like Blackshear, Benford, Shakir, Specter, Ariza, The fact that as an organization with a ton of top-flight talent already on the roster that's good enough to make us a Super Bowl favorite, the Bills are still finding useful players late in the draft that cost next to nothing but can fill important depth roles for us throughout camp and throughout preseason, and with a little bit of luck, flirt with the practice squad and maybe even grow into roles in the starting roster. Maybe the biggest winner in all of this is Brandon Bean because he's assembled this team that has shown that our backups can go out there and fuck up your starting offense if you're the Colts. You don't have world beaters at wide receiver. My guys will go out there and fucking manhandle you. Also, my depth pieces will give me cap flexibility year over year over year. Chris, this is a great time to be Brandon Bean. 
It's a great time to be a Bills fan. And this game just underscored all of the reasons why those things are believable. I love it. I hate that I had to drink a Seagram's, but I like what the youth of this football team has to offer. Kind of like what the Blue Jays have been doing to the Yankees tonight. <laughs> yes. Guys, this is... this. I, I like the format of our shows, and we're going to continue doing this throughout the course of the, 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 the preseason because I'm not doing recaps. I'm not going to try to recap a game blow for blow, do an hour talking about that shit. We're not, eh, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk some shit. We're going to have some laughs. We might even do a few live shows as soon as we get another phone that can actually broadcast live. We narrowed down the problem, but we're going to solve it. No, well, because we're problem solvers here at the Rock Pile Report. That's what we do. Well, I mean, to break down the fourth wall, I did buy a new phone. Yes, and, and then was... we did we did try to call Simonelli with it, and it, the I've had and the half I, millimeter ports too short. Yeah, I had the cable plugged in, and it didn't. It essentially just didn't plug in. It didn't get to the mic ring. So maybe I'll go to Verizon on Monday and complain. That this phone is shit. Well, figure out what you can do. We'll make this happen, but we'll be back live. But this format's going to be ours for the rest of the preseason. I can't wait to continue doing it because it's a lot of fun getting to talk some shit and be the pettiest Bills podcast on earth. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. The Yankees suck. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.